welcome to Hear Us a Podcast. I'm Mike. And this is Orlando. And we are on episode 75? 74, I think. I 74. Know. No, it is 74. Because last one was 73. That's a good reason why this one would be 74. Reason. But you know, here's the deal. I got it to even though we're still, you know, we're trying to do these, you know, in step, sometimes we do them out of turn because some things we find that, you know, we want to make sure, well, not that we want to put our best, but some delve deeper, right? I mean, bolos we could share pretty easily. Hustle the week, what are you know. What are you talking about? Talking about our book, a level up review. Like there's deep thought in some of this. Yeah, but what does that have to do with uh doing something out of turn? Because we either record one podcast later in the night or one earlier, right? So we're recording this first, right? Because we want to make sure that we don't miss anything as we're going through the level up review. Gotcha. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. We, I see what we, you're saying. Because we care about this. It's very confusing. Um, I, I'm, I'm sure half of our listeners right now are like, what are they talking about? But what we're talking about today is <laughs> oh uh, the 10X Rule by Grant Cardone, which is uh, the book that we reviewed. And let me tell you, um, are you pumped? I am. I really, I got to tell you, I was kind of skeptical going into this book, you know, because I, I always look at, I guess, I, I think he's a guru. You know, like there's gurus, uh-huh. right? And I've always been skeptical of gurus since I was a kid. You know, you'd watch those. Like what's happened now is what used to be like infomercials, like when you, you know, cut school and you went home or you were up late night when you were a kid watching TV. Like infomercials no longer are around, I don't think. I mean, I, I don't see them I anymore. They are. Really? It's, I think because of Netflix people, and Hulu yeah, and all, we don't notice anymore. Like that, yeah. Right? Because TV is not the only source. But now social media has allowed people to change that, right? Because what would be considered a infomercial person 10, 15 years ago is now can be a social media influencer. Yeah. And I think, I think in some ways you got to be careful just calling like an infomercial person because sometimes those guys are like, you're scraping the bottom of the barrel. And wow. But what if they're legit? What if they have some good info? Most of the time, the people, I mean, there were- No, there I know, I know. But-, but but I think I think what you're getting at here is Grant Cardone is one of those guys that's just like he's extreme. He's very passionate. Um, I, I listened to the audio book of not this book, but a book he did after this. I can't remember the name of it. I did. I listened to it years ago um, and he was the one that narrated it, which typically I'm very against the author narrating their own book. Really? Yeah, it's not. I, I love I, it. I like an audible. Like it. I hate it when it's not the original author. It just sounds weird. Oh, you're crazy. Like most <laughs> auth- like, OK, maybe. OK, I'm so, crazy. So for these types of book, I agree. So when it's if it's Gary Vee wrote a book if it's Grant Cardone then they can read it and it makes sense for them reading it yes uh, for uh, for fiction and things like that authors have no business doing the reading because it takes a voice actor to be able to to narrate properly I get it I can't right. think of the last time I read a fiction book though oh it's too bad it's, so, it's a wonderful thing but you should for do instance, it very cathartic Gary Vee's uh, the book that we read you know when we started the uh-huh. podcast <laughs> what can we remember crushing, crushing it. it okay crushing <laughs> it I love that he read it because he paused and he would say, hey. He'd kind of annotate. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was great. Even yeah. though he himself hated doing it. Yeah. And he actually said that in the Audible. I thought it was great. Yeah, no, it's very, it's actually a very common thing for kind of the the self-help or the um, self-improvement, I guess, is the 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 more politically correct term to use for that. Um, those those authors tend to be the ones to read it because, yeah, they, they are very charismatic people. Uh, nobody can present their information the way they can. And Grant Cardone is just one of those guys. I'll be honest, reading this book. I'm super pumped. I'm super like, I'm like, it's one of those things where you read it and you get that like, all right, I'm ready to go do this. And you're just energy in charge. Even though I'd say a good portion of the stuff, I'm like, eh, I think he's misled. I don't think, I, I actually disagree with him here. But 
all of his sayings, they're, they're, they're concise, they're quick. He hits the nail right on the head. And even if it's like, I disagree with the underlying principle that he's presenting here, he's doing it in a way that it's like, I get it. Like, I want to get out there and I want to, you know, I want to crush it. I want to get that 10 times. I want to just, I want to make it happen. And so reading this, it's one of those things that, you know, you might not agree with all of his principles, but if you want like a quick surge of like, I'm going to get it, I'm going to work. Now, how long will that last? I don't know. But it gives you at least that adrenaline shot of motivation. And potentially, if you do what he says in this book, you're going to have uh, 10 times the results. It'll 10x your life. Yeah. Now, before we move on, there's some interesting points, though. So I only knew Grant Cardone from like, I would see his ad sometime on Instagram. I, I actually never read his books. I know some people on on social media in the reselling community had shared some quotes from his book. And that's one, one of the reasons we picked up this book. But I didn't know that he's like 60 plus. Yeah. And that that's huge. Right. Because, if you know, I remember when I was 20, I thought 30 was old. Right. And then when you're 30, you think 40 is old. Now I go, this guy's 60. And to me, he's at the peak of his career. Right. I think it's only going to go up even more. Right. Maybe. I mean, if you're at your peak, it's going to go down. But I think it's only going to scale. Uh, I don't know. You know I kind of I kind of feel like Grant Cardone. I, I again, he's one of those motivational guys. But I feel like. He was the generation of self-improvement kind of guru guys before the like Gary V. And now there's like a new method, there's a new model. And I just don't think Grant Cardone is there. But really? I do think, yeah. So I think I think his interesting. So I think he had his heyday and I think that he's still wow. relevant, but I don't think he is the gonna be the forerunner in the self-improvement. There's new guys. There's you got David Goggins, you've got uh, Gary V, all these other people who are they're providing. They're fresh, they're new, the and only, they're providing a, a different perspective. The point I'll disagree with you on that one, though, is that I, I truly believe that Grant Cardone has social media down. Like, I, I think that is going to be the one factor. And again, we're, we're speaking as like armchair quarterbacks about <laughs> gurus and social media. But I think that's the one factor that's going to keep them relative and ahead of the curve. Yeah, and I just, I just think away. young people coming up, they're going to see they're going to see the people like David Goggins, they're gonna see. Yeah, but I've Gary seen him. I've seen him on certain shows that are like one was a YouTuber and he does all hip hop, but he ended up on this show and got interviewed. And I'm like, what? This is again hip hop to me right now is I would say the language of most youth. At least where we're at. At least we have, but we're I mean we were in teaching, we were centers, a yeah. major suburban area. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're not in the middle okay. of the country. We're in a, we're right. in, but the school know. population we're at, we're like 90% not minority. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And hip hop spoke to pretty much everyone. Yeah. If you're, if you're in California, New York, um, even if you're coming from the traditional white middle-class or affluent families, um, you're definitely going to be more engaged in like the hip hop culture. So anyways, the, the reason the I say that is because. I think he, and again, I don't know even why we're in discussion, but I think he, he may still relevant. We'll see. But here's the other thing I wanted to talk about was I was expecting, and we'll talk about this in the book. I was expecting more real estate talk for the first half of the book and there wasn't any. Well, and I, I, I think the reason why is real estate is where he's at now. And a lot of what I, I read from his other book was, you know, and he talks about it in this book a little bit is this idea of like, I want to own 10 apartments. I want to own 
10 apartment complexes and it kept getting bigger and bigger. And he'd create these like goals that he would, you know, set for himself. And so real estate was always one of the things he was after, but he got started as the guy making cold calls and going door to door and trying to sell things. And so that's kind of like his bread and butter. And still, I think to this day, when he's putting on conferences, when he's going to businesses, he that's the pitch he's given is I'm going to teach salesmen to sell better. And I think of any class, like maybe reselling is part of that because we're in some ways we're salesmen, a little bit different than the person who's picking up phone calls and calling people. But at the same time, um, you know, salesmen are are the people I feel most apt to go for these type of self-improvement books because it's one of those few jobs that the more effort you put into it, the more you potentially can get out of it. It's interesting you say that. Though The reason I say that is I caught an interview with uh, Jordan Belfort, the Wolf of Wall Street. And whatever you think of him, you know, obviously he served time, he broke the law, you know, and there's various other, you know, people have their different views on him. The guy's a sales guy. I mean, he sold like penny stocks and he became really rich selling people. And uh, he had Grant Cardone on his show. Uh, and if you catch it on YouTube, I will tell you, probably the out of the first 50 minutes, probably 30 minutes of that is Jordan Belfort trying to sell you stuff. Earphones, like... I'm serious, like software. I was kind of like, this is weird. Is like, like an advertisement. Yeah. Usually there's a YouTube ad, but it was just him like telling you how great these are. These are just like AirPods. So it's like the prices, right? Like today we're going to be talking about such and such. And we've got this cup here and it's hundred percent. That's pretty funny. But he's a sales guy. I mean, that's what he does best. So it was, maybe you want to catch it. I would say after a minute 51, I think the conversation got interesting. Obviously it's, you know, may not be suitable for work because some of the language that was on there. But the discussion was basically Jordan Belford saying, you're a real estate guy and not a sales guy. And Mike and I had this discussion before. Like, is Grant Cardone, is he genius for teaching how to sell or is it his real estate? And I thought it was real estate. That's why I find this book super interesting. Well, I mean, he... His majority of his money now is coming from real estate, but he built his real estate empire on two things. One, being a pretty good salesman, um, you know, above average. If you listen to his story, he doesn't really get into his story so much in, in the first half of this book, but he he went from being an average salesman to a successful salesman, bringing in some decent money to being the guy saying, hey, if I could be a really good salesman, maybe I could teach other people how to be good salesmen. And so... Literally, he was selling himself as I can teach you to be a better salesman. And so that was, I mean, so he's not really selling a product. I don't think his his niche now is like he can sell whatever it is, trinkets, odds and end things. But his sell is I can teach the people in your company to sell way more. See, and, and with, that's what he sells. That, that was what was interesting about that interview with Jordan Belfort, that Jordan Belfort eventually came to the conclusion that you're actually a real estate guy. You're not a sales guy. You're a marketer, but not a sales guy. Right. And then, I mean, it, it splices really thin, right? I mean, you, you know, what's the difference between a sales guy and a marketer? What's the difference between brand and sales? Like, and so on. So let us know your thoughts below. You know, I, there's obviously a lot of people that listen that know far more about Grant Cardone. So interested in your thoughts. Uh, I always love the discussion, the comments. I think we should start the level up yeah, review. Let's get into it. All right. All right. So, so Grant Cardone. Uh, the 10x rule. Uh, one thing I thought was interesting is he starts the book. The very first line is this. The 10x rule is the one thing, emphasis added, that will guarantee that you will get where you want in amounts greater than you ever thought imaginable. So he opens up with a sell of 
this is the one thing. Like nothing else. This, this, this the gospel thing, of Cardone. 10x is the one thing, which I think can be read as the only thing, right? Like it's kind oh, of that's the, how I read it. Is the is the the way he's putting it? But that's what I mean. Like he's so good. This book and, and you know, but is that good? Like that's why I wasn't sold. I wasn't going like everything I believed in. Pushing it out. Pushing it out. 10x. Tattooing it on my arm. I'm ready to go. But if nothing else, you know that this guy believes in what he's saying, right? Like he believes. No, in it. I agree. I mean, so. if you, every interview, I, I hope he believes what he's saying. Because if he doesn't, then man, he's really good at showing that he does. Yeah. So no, go ahead. Where are you gonna no, go for? It. No, I just there's there's a few things that I really enjoyed. I mean, I, he, you know, he talks about, I didn't, you know, on page three, we're at the very beginning. He talks about, I didn't create extraordinary level of success uh, because I violated the second part of the 10X rule, right? So he talks about there's two parts, right? The first part, right, is putting in the work, right? You got a 10X, everything, and we'll talk about this more. But the next part, right, is the execution part, correct? No. Okay. Correct me here. Here are the two parts. All right. Action, thought. Okay. Okay. All right. So he had the action part. So he's kind of saying the first part of his life, after he has this kind of epiphany moment and, and gets into this 10x mode, he goes at 10x, 10 times the amount of action that people are doing, the amount of work. So he's putting in 10 times the okay. amount of work. He says, which helped him immensely, where he fell short was that he wasn't following the 10 times of thought. Like you have to, according to him, dream big, dream 10 times. So not only do 10 times the amount of work and action, but also dream 10 times bigger than whatever your dream is in order to get there. So that's, that's right. kind of the two parts. But I, I'm glad that he was candid about that. I will tell you, that's a struggle. I looked at that. I go, I don't even know what 10 times what I want looks like. I don't even know what five times looks like. No. And, and, and you know, it's, it's interesting because this is goes counter to what a lot of people would argue. And he even makes comments. And just because he gives the counter argument doesn't mean, Oh, well, this is, this is, well, then that, that's the truth. Right. Cause, the other side is going to have their reasons for what they say. But the counter argument to this, which is what a lot of people would do, is set realistic goals, right? Try and try and make a goal, an idea that you can actually achieve. Whereas Grant Cardone's method is whatever you want in life, make the goal 10 times bigger. And then, hey, if you fall short, at least you fall short. <laughs> then, you, then you settle. Yeah. But you don't settle, but you, you achieved more than you no, would have otherwise. Agree. Okay. So you have something highlighted that I have highlighted, which I want to land on here for a little bit. He says, your thoughts and actions are the reasons why you are where you are right now. Where do you, where do you land on that? You know, I think, I think this is the central message of almost every self-improvement book going all the way back to like one of the oldest ones, which was, um, as a man thinketh, I think is what it was called. And essentially the whole point of that, and I think that came out in like the fifties or something. Okay. The whole point of that was your thoughts basically lead to where you go. And I think that the, he adds the actions here too. But if you think about it, like we've talked before, we've mentioned it's a common phrase, like you you kind of, you feel the way you feel because you act the way you act, right? And then you think the way you think, or you act the way you act because you think the way you think. It's like this cycle. And so if you're if you think you've got to work harder and you think these things are going to happen and then you follow up with the actions to do it, more likely or not, you're going to get there. But I do like, and later on he talks about, there's really no victim mentality in his, you know, See, method. I'm still, and I know I'm going to be a little controversial, I guess. I don't know if I will be, but there's a part of me that struggles with this 
Because I do believe, especially in America, of all places, I think everybody has the opportunity to do things, but I don't know if everybody has the access at the same time. Right. And, and I'm, you know, I'm just speaking, there's certain individuals that come from a social, 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 yeah, excuse me, certain socioeconomic background. Right. So you got, you have both parents in the home. They don't really care about education. They don't care about business. Right. They're just, you know, trying to do what they can and make ends meet. Right. And then that kid grows up in that and it's going to take a little bit longer for that individual to understand that they don't have to live that way. Right. Or you get the individual that's raised in a home where both parents are entrepreneurs. They're both go-getters. They 10 X everything. Well, that, you know, if everything is played right, that individual will get to that place of access a lot sooner because they'll have different ways to access things. Yeah, that's true. I think, I think the underlying principle here still stands because he says you're at where you're at because of your thoughts and actions. Now, when you're a kid and you can't help yourself, right? I think it's a little different. Once you get to the point though, so it's true. Let's say you're 18 now, you you leave home and it was a really bad situation, broken home. You didn't have very many opportunities and you believe I can't do any more, then it's your thoughts at this point. And if you're not uh, yeah. acting, then it's your actions. Well, I so, think ultimately it comes to that, but I think I think people start in different places. No, absolutely. It's so, you choose what you do with that place that you came from though. Yeah, yeah. So so that's that's kind of a, I think what he's arguing here is even though he doesn't talk about, you know, where you start, but no matter where you started, where you're going to be, let's just say 10 years from now is going to be based off your thoughts and actions. Yeah. I I think you could say that. I think we could agree on that. I just wanted to say that because I don't know, I I guess for the longest time I used to think like, well, why would, why, why, why are people saying that these people here have are disenfranchised or these people are disenfranchised? And reality is, there are disenfranchised people, but you can choose to stay disenfranchised. Yeah. And right? Being disenfranchised to me, ultimately, as far as business goes, ends up being a choice. Yeah. Yeah. Even in, even in your life afterwards is you can, there's a lot of people. I mean, Gary Vee's really big on that, right? He, he makes mm-hmm. that comment that if there's anybody in the world that's like you, that has the same situation, that came from the same broken family, that had the dad that struggled with alcoholism, whatever it is, like anybody like you that has success, then that means you could do it too. Right. Yep, and agreed. and so I think, I think the idea here, and I think it stands is you're, you're going to be, so maybe you can't even just say where you're at right now. Cause maybe you're a younger person and you, you haven't really had a chance yet to, to get going, but 10 years from now, you're going to be based on wherever you're going to be is going to be based off of thoughts and actions that you make. Right. So if you're moving in a positive way, if you're, if you don't think of yourself as I can't do this, but you say, you know what, I'm going to do this. If you rearrange your thoughts, you have a paradigm shift. You're going to be in a different place than if you sit there and say, I can't. And then you don't do the actions to prove and you actually don't. I agree. Yeah. I, I 100% agree. It's it's sad because it's, you know, I have relatives that still function on. No, this I'm here because of this and this and this and this. And I keep saying, no, no, no. Like you were there. You're choosing to stay there now. Yeah. And that's a huge difference. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think so. And I think, again, where you have to be sympathetic and empathetic towards the people who are in situations that are rough and difficult. But I would say anybody who's listening to our podcast, anybody who is, you know, doing the reselling life recognizes and probably agrees that 
that it's possible no matter where you started to to make it in life if you're willing to put in the work. And the Agreed. Energy. And he says that later on in page five towards the bottom, he says, you know, he basically says almost every problem people face in their careers or other aspects of their lives are all the result of not taking enough action. I, I, I think that's true. I, I He does talk about there's inadvertent things that you can't control. Yeah. We're all there. I mean, we, we wish we could control everything, but ultimately you can't be responsible for those things that you couldn't control, but you can be responsible for those things that you can control. Yeah. I mean, I know that's common sense, but sometimes the reminder is good. Yeah, well, that's good. And there's a whole chapter he actually had on this idea of uh, assuming control for everything. That was chapter six. And we kind of talked a lot about that mm-hmm. right now. Um, and and that's that's really the point he makes is, is no matter what happens in life, figure out the, the things you could do to make it better and, instead of pointing the, the finger. Even if somebody else is at fault, what could you do to get over it? And, and you're always going to be better off acting and taking responsibility and ownership where you can, as opposed to just saying it's somebody else's fault and then not doing anything about it. One thing I think is interesting is, is he has to start the book with this idea of, okay, you're going to get success. And he gives a pretty broad idea of success can be a lot of things. It could be money. It could be relationships. It could be health. It could be a number of things. But then he goes on to say this. An interesting thing about success is that it's like a breath of air. Although your last breath of air is important, it's not nearly as important as your next one. And he recognizes, I think, right off the bat that when you're chasing success, and we know what that's like, like you get a big sale, you you sell, you, you know, you you get a good find at a garage sale and it sells, you work really hard and you level up. Nobody sits there and says, like, we did it, made it, now I can just put my feet up, I've reached it, right? You have to chase the next one. And there's this constant chase. So I guess part of the question is, is chasing success the right thing, or should there be a level of like, I want like to be content. I don't know. It's a tough one. It's funny because <laughs> I so wish we recorded what Mike and I discussed before this, because we actually banter back and forth about this because there's a part of me that believes, and that's later on in the chapter that there's a place for contentment. Like it's exhausting to continually chase. It's exhausting. I mean, it, it's very clear that, and we talked about this before and we talked about, uh, C.S. Lewis had talked about, I, I forget which work he, that he wrote, but he had discussed like when you're, when you're first dating, you're constantly in this infatuation mode. Yeah. Like enamored with the other person. Yeah, but, but you can't you know, live in that. You can't live in that. And obviously that infatuation is to get you to your end goal of marrying that person, yeah. right? Or being with that person, whatever it is, right? But it can't constantly be like that because you'll never get anything done. Yeah, emotional emotional infatuation, the extreme like highs of dating are to, according to C.S. Lewis, bring you to a place where you can make a commitment. And then once you have that commitment- And you overlook flaws. Then things get easier, right? Like yeah. now you, you can't, because you can't function in that constant like, oh, I wonder what he's thinking of me. You know what I mean? Like, But I think success is like that too. I think, I wonder what it'd be like to have this and to have this and to have this and you just keep going and you just keep going and you keep going. There has to be a place where- it's so hard. I can't define it, but you're content. Like to me, you know, we've talked about this before where I'm content where I'm at. Yes. Do I want to scale? Do I want to be larger? But my life right now, like I I love it. You know, I I get the time and freedom with my family. I get to travel. Uh, I don't have to worry about multiple employees. I don't have to worry about the overhead of a warehouse, but I'm still able to more than make it. And I don't, so I would say I'm content. But there's a part of me that wants to do more, but I guess it's slow and steady, yeah. not the constant chase. And I think it's, it kind of goes back to like 
this is a big difference between like Tim Ferriss's book, right? Like Tim Ferriss's book, he still was looking for a certain type of success, but it wasn't just, you know, make it to the next level, make it to the next level, make it to the next level. But it was a different mindset of get to a place where you can kind of relax and enjoy and, and you know, enjoy the nothing as opposed to keep going. Whereas Grant Cardone, I can never imagine Grant Cardone taking a mini retirement. I don't think Greg Cardone's ever going to retire, right? Like to him, if he's reached whatever level it is, he, what was his name? Um, I can't remember right now, but one of the wealthiest men in the world when he was asked um, how much money is enough and his response oh, Andrew was- Andrew Carnegie or Rockefeller? I think it was Rockefeller. Okay. Um, and he said just a little more. Oh yeah, it's Rockefeller. Rockefeller. And so that's, I mean, I, there's a lot to be said there. And is that always a bad thing? Maybe not, but I think I think it can- bring people, if all you're doing is chasing the success, thinking that it's going to bring you a level of happiness, I think that's where the problem is. I think if you're looking for more success, knowing that I'm happy where I'm at, but I want to keep going because I feel like I have more in me. And it's not like I'm not happy with myself, but I will be if I get to this level, because I think you'll realize like you're not satisfied there either. And I think the epidemic we see of suicides, even even in like celebrities is is proof of that, that that you can get to a place and it's not enough if you think that's what's going to bring you happiness. And so one of the things that we do with reselling, I think, is we try and look for the success to free up the areas of our life that we want to be free in, whether it's time with family or whether it's being able to travel the world or do. So there's something else we're looking at as happiness as opposed to just making more money. No, agreed. And ultimately, you know, we we don't know why people do what they do, but there are strong factors that success for the sake of success isn't lead to happiness. I mean, we know that over and over and over again, because again, we see these people that are uber wealthy and they're miserable. Right. And then I know people right now that are making, you know, 40 to 50 K and they're the happiest people I know. I mean, they're, and sometimes to the point I'm like, is this real? Like, mm. I, I don't understand, but they're okay. They're content. So I, there's, there's something to be said for that. I, I completely agree with that. I think maybe we could shift the conversation of success to, yeah, like you said, it's, and I think he does discuss that to a certain point that it's not just finances, but the overall theme does sound like it's there. Yeah. And if it, we're wrong, let us know. It, it is, it is there. I mean, even in other things, like whether it's fitness, cause he does talk about fitness and other things. But really the principle, and we'll break it down chapter by chapter. We're only going to do about half the book and we'll go through kind of quickly. Hopefully we get through half the yeah. book. Um, we'll go through quickly and just kind of highlight main points. But essentially, if you could, if we could just encapsulate what the idea of the book is, it's those two rules, 10 times the amount of work anybody's doing and 10 times the amount of thought to get there. You've got to be at a place where you're going to say, if I want to make $100,000 a year, I need to change that opinion to, I want to make a million dollars a year. And then... I need to, if I think it's going to take X amount of work to get to a million dollars a year, I need to go 10 times what I think it's going to take because inevitably I am going to underestimate the amount of energy and work it's actually going to take to get there. Which I think one benefit of that is that whole, it's that old proverb or or that old idea of shoot for the moon. uh, What is it like? Shoot for the moon, aim for the moon. I don't know. And you miss, you hit the, you know what I'm talking about? Is that Michael Scott and Wayne Gretzky? No, there's a, there's a quote of like, if you know. if you shoot for if you aim for the moon and miss you get this I don't remember what it was but it, basically if idea, you know let us know if if you aim further than you want and you miss you're better off than if you aim close and you miss right it's basically the idea like dream bigger that's yeah. the idea 
Well, no, and we'll talk about that. I, I think there's something to be said. I, I think life is not as fun if you don't dream big. Yeah. I think you have to. I, I think it's built in us to dream, dream big. <laughs> Mike's looking it up. See, I don't even have my MacBook in front of me, which is the norm on the podcast, but Mike does because Mike's doing some research here. Now, there is something to be said, though, on page nine. He does discuss, in other words, you have to be able to keep success, not just get it. And I think that's huge. I, I think that's an ongoing theme in everything that we've read from all three books that we've read. <laughs> Richard Man in Babylon, Tim Ferriss for our work week to now that if you're striving for stuff and you achieve your goal, but you lose it, that there's really, you're, you're like a hamster on a wheel. And I, I think it's the same thing with reselling. Hey, it's great if you make a hundred K in sales, you know, on eBay or Amazon, but if you're not reinvesting that capital, if you're not building, if you're not growing, like you're just, you're doing what you're doing on the nine to five. And I, I think, you know, if you're going, if you go full time, you got to be careful about that. And that's one of the things I've had to think about is last year I did okay. But then I thought, okay, I love the process, but am I only taking care of the process? Am I making sure that I, what I'm doing in the long term, right? As the richest man in Babylon discussed is going to ensure some kind of protective security financially. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. All right. looks like you found the quote. I found the quote. It's shoot for the moon. Even if you miss, you'll land among the stars. Okay. It's cheesy, but it's, it's like a but thing, right? Like, is that the same thing that you were trying to say two minutes ago? It might've been a different quote, but okay. it, 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 it's, it's, it's the same idea. And, and basically it's just the idea of, of, of dream big. Now that to me is, is also a little controversial. Um, I think, I think there's, I think he tells half, half of the story. I think that's what a lot of people do is they focus on half of the story. Cause I think the idea of dreaming way bigger than you can possibly achieve. Cause that's part of what he says too. He's not yeah. just like, just achieve for the biggest that you can achieve. That would be like blasphemy for him. Like his is like 10 times more than you're even capable of achieving. Right. Because you might even be able to do more, but, but, but set unrealistic expectations. Whereas the other side of the story is, okay, so now you've got this potentially unrealistic goal set and maybe you can reach it. Maybe you can't, but then there's the more practical side of it, which a lot of people would argue you need to do um, small, break it down into small incremental. What can I do right now? Practically yeah. that'll get me there. What's the one thing I can do in this next hour. That's going to get me one step closer to that impossible goal. As opposed to you wake up in the day and you're like, I'm going to make a hundred million today. I think we're just talking about two different people. I, I think it's, I think personality plays a huge part. We haven't talked about that, but I, I really, you know, I, I take a look at even my own experience. Like I always was a dream big. And when I dreamt big, it meant that things were unrealistic, but great things happened, right? Cause you need it, not because of me, cause the other side is you need people that are doers, right? You need both. And some people are able to do both. I would say I can't do both. So would you say that Grant Cardone's method is only applicable to a certain portion of the people then? I would say that it's something that everyone can definitely do. I just think people can do them at different degrees. Because like I think of the idea of like forming a habit, for instance, um, and, and discipline. Because he does talk a lot about discipline. He, he says some great things, like some incredible quotes about discipline and, and actions consistently saying and doing actions. And he would definitely not be against taking actions every day because he's about 10 times the amount of actions. But I think 
there's something to be said of waking up and saying, because part of the thing he does, he's got a thing of where you write goals and you write them as if you've already attained them. So like I own 10 houses, right? Like you wake up every morning, you write that down. I own 10 houses. But then to me, a lot of people, a lot of ideas that, that move towards actually getting your goals is, okay, now break it down. What do I have to do in the next 10 years to own 10 houses? What do I have to do in the next five years? What can I do this month? What can I do this day? Right. And you kind of have to have what is something I could physically actually do today in order to get me to that end. Well, crazy goal. And then and that's what I mean in the sense that I think both can do it. I think if you're a dream big person, let's 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 relate to reselling. Right. Most and I'll speak about myself. I'm a dream big person. So I'm big on like having those huge purchases, finding those huge scores. I really don't care about the spreadsheets. I mean, spreadsheet talk to me. It's terrible. You need like, to hire someone. That it is the most boring. I, I don't care. I, I don't to, care. I can see somebody commenting no. already in the comments. I know. Saying, I get if it. You don't care about if you don't care about spreadsheets. You're not, a, you're real not a real reseller. reseller. I know. I get it. <laughs> but here's the thing. I have somebody that takes care of that. Now, I do some of the legwork, but ultimately I hire somebody to take care of that part. But on the other side, there are some people that I think are just very doers. Like they like giving, like being given tasks because they like, you know, dealing with the minutia and the details and they want to get everything right. And sometimes those people need mentors or people to inspire them to break them out of that. Yeah, I think that's a good argument for why companies need different types of people or why communities need um, different types of people because one person can't do it all. Because even a lot of the things Grant Cardone talks about, and and, and there's audible, no way Grant Cardone does this all. No, 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 for sure. Like he he's got some people doing a lot of stuff mm -hmm. behind the scenes for him, and and I, I think that's important to recognize too. But that could be part of your dream big, right? Like I want to get to a place. That was Tim Ferriss's whole book, right? Is get to a place where you can kind of step back and do the dreaming and let other people do the work because you've set that up. Like that's kind of the model he, he presented. And you know, Grant Cardone says something here at the end of the first chapter. He says, as long as you're alive, you will either live to accomplish your own goals and dreams or be used as a resource to accomplish someone else's. I got to imagine that was like, like, but, yeah, that, but, but that's what I mean. I really think, and I think it's okay. I think it's okay to being used by someone else to achieve a greater oh, good. Oh, but man, that goes against everything it, you say in the podcast where it's like, break out of the nine to five. No, don't no, no, work no, no, for another no, no, person. No, 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 no. Let me correct something. I have said, if you love what you're doing, if you love your nine to five, keep doing it. Right? I was a vice principal. I was the number two guy. I took care of all the things that the number one guy didn't take care of. And I always made sure that the number one guy was put on a certain pedestal and that no one knew, right? I mean, you worked with me, right? I was always like, I never talked trash mm -hmm. about my boss and I never made it seem like things weren't being taken care of, right? And so I love that part. I love that. You know what? When, the, you know, the number one guy was gone and it was only me and I had to take care of things that I made it seem as if that person was there, right? So I think there's a place for that. Now I'm slowly realizing that the reason I couldn't be that number two guy and why I rolled out was because I needed to be the number one guy and there wasn't room for me and I decided to go. All right. Fair enough. But would you say like Grant Cardone's 
statement of like it's he seems a, yes. to be going against he's, it. You're either going to work for someone it, yes. else or you're going to work for yourself. No, he's selling it. I mean, obviously that's what that quote is. So I get it, but I. I but I again, feel like I've heard you say similar stuff multiple times. Like, well, because I'm in that place now. I I can't go back there. I, I I just can't. I mean, I've had offers to be that person, and I just I couldn't do it anymore. Mm. Just can't. So all right, let's go to chapter two. We're only on chapter two, Mike. Taking too long, man. Speed it up. <laughs> yeah, okay, it was me. All right, now I love how he's real about this, though. You know, right off the bat, first, uh, second paragraph, he says, I assure you <laughs> that there will be something you don't anticipate or correctly plan. And I know that's common sense, but I think we get in, I, I will say for myself, I get into this place that as long as I'm doing A, B, and C, D should happen. But I'm telling you, I've lived enough life in my young 40 years to know that you can do A, B, C, D, E, F, and G, and everything else will fall apart. You cannot control. You just yeah. can't. Yeah, I think I think there's a certain amount where you need to take in and, and kind of count the cost as much as you possibly can so you're not foolish at the end of the day when it's like you started a project and you weren't even prepared for half of it, you know? Uh, but, I mean, he, he makes this statement. He says, uh, whether it was building a house, raising money, fighting a legal battle, getting a job, selling a new product, learning a new position, getting promoted, making a movie, or finding the right partner in life, it always took more than what people calculated. And there was a... I was really big on time management, like my biggest weakness. Um, and you probably don't know this about me, or maybe you do because you know me a little more personally. But like as my boss, you would have never known that my biggest weakness was time management. No. Because. Well, I, yes and no. But yeah. But but I, I think most people wouldn't. They would they would say like I, I had all of my stuff done and like I was organized and I was prepared for yeah, everything. I agree with that. And the reason was because that's absolutely not who I was. Like I had to read book after book after book of like how to set up to do lists, how to sign. Because I was I'm the I'm a procrastinator by nature. I have to fight against that. And one of the several of the books that I read kind of taught with time management that one of the things you have to do is one one guy said it like this. You have to build in fudge time. Like if you think something's going to take an hour, add 20% to that, mm -hmm. right? Add in some fudge time knowing like, okay, you can't fill up your calendar completely. Say like, I've got eight hours to work today. So I can only schedule like six hours worth of work because something's going to come up. Something is going to take longer than I expected. And if things go faster than you expect, then hey, now you've got time that you can squeeze some more stuff in. But otherwise, if you fill up your schedule 100%, you're not going to get everything done ever because stuff comes up. No, I agreed. And along with that, I want to reverse a little bit back a page, a page 14. If you guys all have the same book, <laughs> the link, I think this is one of the truest statements that will definitely change your mindset when it comes to reselling, when it comes to any kind of business. And I'm seeing this now as a full-time reseller. I didn't see this when I first jumped ship. I'm seeing this now a year later when he says, well, it took me almost three years to get my business to provide me with the same income of the previous job. Now, I'm still making the same income. So it's not, it's not that quite, it's not that phrase exactly. It's the principle of that phrase. And the principle of that phrase is you may expect something to be a certain way right out the gate, but you better plan on it not being that way. And that, and I 100% agree with that. And, and I've talked about that where I initially thought, you know, I probably could work maybe 20 hours a week and I'd be good. And, and now I'm finding that, yeah, there are those 20 hour weeks, but there's certain weeks that it's 40 to 60. Right. And in Q4, I saw that last Q4 where it was more than that, right. To make things happen. And so 
like you said, not only do you have to build your time in your day, you have to allow yourself and understand that if you go full time or you want to scale your eBay or Amazon, it's going to take a whole lot more than you ever planned for to make that happen. Now, eventually you will get to a place. Like I find myself that probably by this time next year, at least I, I hope I'm in a different place where I'll be in a place where I'm more managing and tweaking things and constantly on that hustle. Now, when it comes to the podcast and so on, maybe we'll still be at a greater hustle, depending on how things go. But as far as the reselling side, I'm hoping that it's not the case. Yeah. And you got to figure too, you might be at the same uh, income that you were before you you left your full-time job or becoming full-time reseller, but you also had several years building up to that. Correct. So it did take multiple years. No, it did. To that I mean, I would say, you know, people ask us all the time, like how long or long did it take for you to jump full-time? And it took me five years. And I would say the last two years were intense hustle. I'm talking about, you know, you know, at that time, wife and kids are in bed. It's nine o'clock. And from nine, 9 p.m. to one or till two, throwing on a podcast, ours wasn't around, or throwing on some YouTube and taking pictures and listening and packing and doing that every night, seven days a week for a long time. Yeah. So that's what it yeah, took. It takes the work. You got to put it in for sure. Um, now, one thing that that he brings up from that is people will often recognize that things are harder, right? That like, I didn't get to where I thought I wanted to be fast enough. Things were not reaching the goals we want to reach. And he says, the first reaction that a lot of individuals or companies make is they move the target. And instead of moving the target further and making it more difficult, which is what he would suggest, they bring it in closer to this idea of more manageable, more realistic. Like, hey, we weren't able to make, it's too difficult for my salesman to make five sales a day. So we're going to lower the target to three because it makes everybody comfortable, right? And he makes this statement. He says, the idea of changing targets targets to make everyone feel good will lead to further weakening of morale, hope, expectations, and skills. And everyone will start assigning reasons, uh, better known as excuses, as to why the team is unable to attain its targets. Uh, when you start rethinking your targets, making up excuses, and letting yourself off the hook, you will, you are giving up on your dreams, right? And, and think about that with reselling. Like, it's so easy to say, like, I'm going to, I mean, we do it all the time. Like, we end our, our, Wednesday episodes with like, what are you looking forward to? And sometimes it's like, I'm going to list a hundred items. And then reality is we don't. And it's like, well, yeah. you only, I got, I only got 50 items done. You know, next time I'm only looking for 50 and it's really easy to move that target back into something that feels more manageable as opposed to saying, you know what? I just need to go harder. I need to go harder. I need to up the amount of action and maybe even dream bigger and say, you know what? I couldn't get a hundred this week, but I could do 500 if I really wanted. And, and you just go for it. And I don't know. Is that really possible? Grant Cardone seems to think it is. Well, I will tell you, there are resellers out there that do about 250 listings a week. That's intense. I mean, I, I, I do maybe 15 to 25 when I'm good. A day, right? A day, when okay. I'm good. <laughs> when I'm good, which that's more the exception than the norm, right? But there are some that I think of other, and you know, there's multiple that... By the time I'm getting up, they already got 25 listings done. To me, that's that's intense. Intense. You gotta. That was why I think you. I mentioned a few episodes ago, or I made the comment like I always want to be the hardest worker in the room. I yeah. think that came from listening to Grant Cardone's book on on Audible several years ago or a couple years ago, and that was basically what he inspired me. It's like work harder than everybody else, and you're going to succeed. And I do think there's an element of pride there that I try and like st like stay away from. However, I mean. 
it makes sense. If you're the one that's getting up two hours before anybody else and you're putting in twice the amount of work, you're going to reap what you sow eventually, you know, like it ends up working out that way. If you're doing it right. Yeah. If you're doing well, I feel like I don't. I shouldn't have to preface every time. As long as you're not no, just but moving I think, rocks around a room, you know. But like, I think you do you gotta, because okay. so as long as you're there is a mentality correctly. that as long as I work hard, I should be re- rewarded. But the reality is, no. You got to work hard and smart. Yeah, that? if you, you can work hard all you want, but if you're not doing things right, the reward's not going to be there. All right, so let's assume you know this as an educator. How but, many times did you get? You know, uh, I worked eight hours last night on this project. Turn it in. The instructions. They didn't follow directions. Turn in junk, and you gave them a bad grade. And then mom and dad show up, and they're like, "My kid, I was there. I watched them work for eight hours. They deserve an A." And you're like, "No, like, they didn't do what they're supposed to do." That's what I mean. Yeah, no, that's true. So, um, let's let's assume for the remainder of the podcast, every time I say work harder, it also encapsulates right. that is working correctly, working on things that are actually meaningful. Okay, yeah. we will we will go with we'll that. that. All right, good. All right, let's go chapter three, huh? Let's, let's jump a little it. bit. Let's go to success. It's a really short chapter too. It's like four pages, <laughs> or yeah, it's four pages. And part of the reason is it's actually less of, than that of text. It's like two and a half pages of text. But there's this. There it leads into other chapters, so it's kind of like the setup. Okay. I, I just. I just had one thing that I could relate with, but I don't go ahead. You go first and then I'll share. Well, one of the things I wanted to say is he, he breaks down success and he says three things about it. He says, one, success is important. Two, success is your duty. Three, there's no shortage of success. And that kind of leads into the future chapters. But I think those are pretty powerful ideas. Like not only is it important, but it's your duty. And he really like brings into it's the- like, It's an ethical thing. Yeah. He starts talking about it, it's an ethical matter of how hard you're willing to work. And I- that was an interesting way of putting it that I don't think a lot of people uh, think about that way. So is it wrong if you're not successful? Um, That's where that ends up, right? Well, I mean, he does have a, a quote later where he makes that claim. He says, if, if providing for and being successful is, is your duty and responsibility, then not doing it becomes an ethical issue because you're failing at what you're supposed to be doing. And I could see that if it's a matter of like taking care of my family, um, doing the job that I'm assigned to do, right? Like if you work for somebody else and you're being paid to do something, part of your success is doing that well. And so it does become an ethical issue if if it's your duty to be the best person you can be, as it were, do the best for the person paying you and you fall short of that and it's your fault that you're falling short of it, I can see why it it could be an ethical issue. No, I get it. I mean, when when I read the last part, so I'm thinking about, you know, I went from being a school administrator, well known in the community, I guess you can label that as successful, whatever you want to label it. And then I quit. Right. And then my son is wondering what I'm doing home every day. Right. And my son's like, why, why are you doing this podcast or what you're going to make, you're going to take care of us through Amazon and through eBay. And, and I, and I, and so I started thinking about that when I read this comment here from Grant Cardone on page 24, he says, do kids benefit when they see their moms? And mom and dad to losing or quitting. Does anyone benefit when you can't get your art sold or that great book published or that great idea that will improve everything across? No, no one will benefit from your failure. However, if you're able to reverse it and attain the goals and dreams you set for yourself, now that would be something. And that was so powerful, I would say, in this stage in life, because even though entrepreneurship is, I guess, cool and trendy, 
it still isn't. You know what I mean? I, I think within our reselling community, it really is. But I still think there's, I mean, it's changing. But is that the goal, though? Is the goal to have the admiration of other people or is the goal to be financially successful? But I, okay, but what I want to say as a parent, it's 100% important for my for my kids to go, you know, dad, dad went through this and went through this and went through this, but he turned it all around and things are different now. But he he was able to persevere. He was able to be able to be quote unquote successful and he was able to make things happen. Cause I think that instills, and I mean, this is not a parenting podcast, by the way, not pure hustle parenting, but it does instill in a child that idea that when they're older, like, hey. Remember when dad did this? Remember when mom went through this? I mean, you see it all the time, right? There's those inspirational Hallmark movies, right? Dad walks out, mom walks out, or there's some catastrophe or tragedy that happens and parents are able to make it through. So I think about this, I go, for all of you out there that are, you know, struggling and going, you know, why am I doing this? Why, you know, especially if you have kids, you got to remember that there's a greater you know, greater cause, not cause, greater effect that will happen as a result of this is that you will instill in your own children the fact that despite adversity, they can still be successful and they don't, entitlement will slowly be put away with that mentality. We wanted to take a quick moment to thank our sponsors for this episode. All right. That's my two cents. Oh, it's good stuff. Good stuff. Um, all right. So it, it brings into the next chapter, which is success is your duty. And he, for the first time in the book, starts talking a little bit more about his personal life. Uh, and he explains that uh, when he was younger, um, and I don't think at this part he talks specifically about his dad dying yet, but he, he talks about like he goes through a rough thing in life. He's He kind of goes off the deep end and he says, I was dying at the age of 20 as a result of no direction and purpose. Uh, and he goes on to explain that like he was doing drugs, he was doing alcohol, he was kind of not really succeeding in life. And he said, I realized then that I had put my family, my companies, and myself in a precarious situation because I had started to rest on my laurels and had discontinued approach, um, approaching success as my duty, obligation, and responsibility. I had lost my focus and purpose. And recognizing that like and that part was even after he had made it big, right? Like he'd, he'd started to do better for himself, but then got, I don't know if lazy is the word to use, but he even says like resting on his laurels, right? So so in his 20s, he wasn't doing well and he got this epiphany of I need to do better. And that's where he got the 10 times action. And it wasn't until his 50s when the economy kind of collapsed and he realized, hey, I had got some success, but because I wasn't dreaming even bigger, my empire was fragile. Notice that in his 50s, I'm 40 and I go, okay, so I can be ahead of Cardone. I mean, I'm not saying financially, but I could be ahead of Cardone on mindset if I understand that. If you're 20 and you get that, if you're 30 and you get that. If, if what he's saying is true. And we got to preface that. Like, do I, I really believe okay. that, that dreaming 10 times bigger is the right thing? What do you think? I, I think you can't be complacent. But is it, so? so for instance, with your... And I guess the best way to do this is just make it really personal. So with what you're selling, Amazon, FBA, yeah. eBay, and how you kind of got things going, to be 10 times bigger than where you want to be, which might be like, hey, I want to be able to like 
you know, have things kind of automated. 10 times bigger would be like, I've got, I own three warehouses and I've got managers running them and people are outsourcing. And I, is, is that the dream you should have to get to where you want to be? Like, that's the dream you want. No, no, no. He doesn't say have the dream you want. He says go 10 times bigger than what you want. I get it. And And awkward pause in the right? podcast like, right now. Okay, no, because it's, I mean, it's, that's it's, the question. That's what he's selling. What I'm struggling with is you've discussed this and I 100% agree with you is that in order to make things happen, you have to give something up, right? So, and I've thought about this. Don't get me wrong. It's not like I haven't thought about, okay, because, you know, I have days of the week where it's, you know, my, my sons are with, with their mother, right? So it's just me. I can 10x those days, right? I can sleep like three or four hours and you'll see some of that on, on Instagram once Q4 happens where I can source eight, as, as long as stores are open, I can source and I can pack and I can ship and, and you know, the podcast, I can post stuff all day on social media and, and we can, you know, do all kinds of craziness, but I can't do that all seven days because I have a family, right? And could I 10x now? Let, let's let's meld them together. Tim Ferriss and Grant Cardone's theory, right? Is it maybe because I'm not being efficient with that time, right? Am I saying something that should take, you know, twelve hours, and I'm am I actually making it twenty four hours because I have that time? I don't know. That's something I'm trying to gauge actually right now. But that's why I, I do struggle with what that the 10x as far as that goes because. I think it, I do think it's doable. I just wonder what would I have to give up? Yeah. And I think part of that is you've got to be clear right in the beginning of what you really want. And I think that's where the 10X kind of, because people usually have a balanced approach. Now, I, I personally believe that the most financially successful business owners, they're a special breed of people who that is, that that's it. That's what they want. Like, and not to say that, that some of them don't have great families and great other lives, but like that is their purpose. And I think the, and I don't want to use the word average, but more common people are okay with not achieving 80 hour work weeks in order to be a multi-billionaire. But they're like, I, I just want to be at a comfortable level and I want to be able to have a healthy relationship with wife and kids. And I want to be able to do like one big vacation. Like they have different idea. And so if you 10x all of that, is that the right life for everybody? I, I don't know. I It might be. I, the, the reason I say is this. So I, I look at Gary Vee, right? Gary Vee, it's interesting, his model. He works 16-hour days pretty much. So on Monday through Friday. Like, boom. Like, you never see, and we've had discussion, you never see anything about family. He has a kid. You wouldn't know. He's married. You wouldn't know, right? It's business, business, business. 16 hours a day, Monday through Friday. On the weekends, he, he disconnects, but his team doesn't. So all the social media stuff is his team doing the stuff over the weekend. Every once in a while, he'll, you know, he'll do his trash talk, garage sale and all that. But it works. Like, and he enjoys the process and he loves the process. And from the outside, we don't know internally, but from the outside, it's working. Yeah, I think where I would be careful with that, like specifically with me, because I'm thinking like my wife and my son, is I know a lot of people who are very wealthy who they're wealthy a lot of times because they work really hard and they earn it, but they do sacrifice a lot of time with family. Even if they're like hundred percent free on the weekend, 
I'm I'm a believer and I I could be wrong and maybe this isn't work for everybody like I'm you know this is just my opinion but I'm of the opinion that quality time can't be forced quantity time is going to overtime lead to quality time Okay yeah but I'm going to say something crazy right now are you ready for crazy maybe Okay so I went back and I'll talk about this in the update episode when I went back to San Francisco I was discussing things with friends I had known since I was a kid and we were talking about how soft our kids can be at times. Like we grew up in what well, some people would consider the body or whatever you want to call it. We'd catch the bus. Like at, at eight years old, we would catch the bus all throughout San Francisco. No cell phones. Be amongst gangs. Like we could have been murdered. No one would have known. Like all this stuff. Right. And our parents were always working. Like always working. I, I can't think of it. I mean, I had two parents in the home. My dad was sick. He ended up, he had Parkinson's. So eventually he would just end up with my mom. And my mom was a, a hospice nurse and a traveling nurse and, and so on. And they were always gone. And I was a latchkey kid. I would say I turned out okay. Right. I think about my own kids and I'm sorry, kids, when you listen to this podcast one day in the future. But I feel that Yes, I have a lot of quality time with them, but there's a part of me that goes, have I made my kids soft by not making them get out there and do things on his own and not always being there? Yeah, I think there's something to be said for that. But And yeah, I, I definitely think that there's the overprotection of parents. I mean, I, I see that as an educator, big time to shift in parents that are overly protecting I mean, their think kids. think about, and no offense, but when I was a kid and I practiced sports, no one was there. Now, when there's practice after school, there's like the whole stand, and maybe some of you, and I'm not trying to say anything about you, but there's a whole stand full of parents. They're watching their kids practice. Yeah, no, that's okay. But so there's the other side. So we can always look at the extremes, but the argument I'm trying to make is a balance in the middle of you're, you're creating kids who are prepared for the world, right? There's a, a phrase I like, which is um, prepare the kid for the path, not the path for the kid. Right. So, okay. Right. So right I get it. You're preparing. Okay, that's them good. To be out there. That's really good. But I still, that doesn't change the fact that I think quality relationships come from quantity time together. Like, if you're to say, like, hey, I'm going to spend one day a week, and I know there's military people who are like away from spouses all the time, and like, you know, that that is a different type of situation. But I think you're better off spending an hour every night being able to sit down and talk with a spouse or to, to spend time with your kid than to say, I'm not going to really spend any time with you or talk to you throughout the week. But then one day of the week, you've got my attention. But what what if that is uber quality time? But I don't think Completely it, disconnected. But see, I don't think it is. I think, I don't think, me personally, and again, I could be wrong, but I don't think you can have real quality. I don't think you could schedule quality time. I think quality time comes from consistent, time spent no, okay. with somebody, I, those I moments see, come up over time. I see that. It's very organic. Right. So like, you can't say like, I'm going to take you on this trip and it's going to be a quality trip with like my son and, and, and we're going to bond. Yeah. But right? if you're with your spouse, you could say, we're going to go on this date night. We're not going to have cell phones and we're just going to talk to each other. Yeah. No, absolutely. But if that's the only time you're making time to talk and you hope that this time is going to make up for the rest, I don't think it works. I think, I think those the deepest moments come consistently over time. Okay, but the answer to all this is we don't know. Like reality, we don't know. Like I think I think in this sense, I think you and I'm talking about all of us in general 
have to decide what is best. I mean, he says that earlier, like, you know, when I think about myself, what's best for me is <laughs> I'm not, you know, I don't want to get into detail, but for me, it's yes. I constantly like being around my kids. The problem that happens is do I take care of more things that I shouldn't be taking care of if I wasn't there? Do you get what I'm saying? No, did I lose you? I th- I think I know what you're saying. I think I'm following. I, like, are, are we are we enabling? Okay, yeah, that's and again, like there there is that side of it. But I'm not saying that quantity time means you're holding their hand and you're you're like walking them through life every. But step but of the does way. it lead? Then well, all I'm saying is that does it lead to that? Okay, we're going and what? So ultimately, what I'm trying to say is, if you're loving the process. And that 16-hour workday still allows you quality time and your family is able to function, then do it. If your family is the family that needs you to work, you know, eight hours a day and be home by four o'clock and be there all night, then do it. You, you got to figure out because there's different personalities. There's different people. There are certain, I, I can tell you when back in the day when I mentored couples, some couples are better off when they didn't see each other all day and they only saw each other like two hours a night because they would drive each other crazy if they're around each other all the time. Right. Being there's other people that worked well together. And when they had their own kind of at home business as entrepreneurs, man, they gelled, but there are other people that that business would tank if they were together all day. Well, and to bring this back to the book, cause I mean, I, I yeah, we still got our rabbit well, trail, but we didn't, because if you think about, we're not just, the point of the level up review, I do, we could pull great truths and quotes from, which I think it's super helpful and beneficial, which we should be doing. But part of it is to review the book and the review of it. We have to be able to either firmly say we agree, we disagree, or we land in the middle. And I think the main pitch or one of the main pitches that Grant Cardone is making is you have to dream 10 times bigger, right? You have to be willing to put in 10 times the amount of work and to be realistic reselling is a perfect example. If you're doing 10 times what you're doing right now, you are giving up something. You're giving up a lot of time with family. I agree. And so I think the reason why we got on that track is to review this book and to pull these things out, we still, and everybody has to make this decision. We have to say like, here's the stuff we could take from it without saying like, we a hundred percent agree with Grant Cardone, or do we actually believe him and say like, you have to be 10 X. And so that's, that's the whole reason I, I think, you know, I brought that, that part up is, as we talk about these things, we have to look at it in the light of, is this partial truth? Is this complete truth? Is this only relative depending on where you're at? And so you have to kind of figure it out, right? And so I think it's important that we preface that as we talk about each of these quotes, because I don't want to be saying like, you have to do this in order to make it because maybe it's actually not best advice that we're giving. Agreed. And please know this is a discussion. So we're not looking at this trying to say, we're right about this, you know, if we're wrong, we're wrong. We're okay with being wrong. I'm I'm 100%. I I think you've noticed that over the time in the podcast that I'm wrong a lot. And I'm okay with that because if it gets you to think and arrive to a conclusion that helps you out, I'm good with it every single time. All right. Are we ready to jump? Let's do a couple more on this one. And then maybe maybe we break up this book into a three-part series. I, I'm so thinking we, can, we need to. Yeah. You know what? We so were, before the podcast, we're like, this has to be two. Because we both said we could talk about each chapter in one whole podcast. Yeah, and part of it is because, and one of the reasons we do this is we see the deeper part. We see how it connects to reselling. But we also see that, you know, like what 
the whole point of level up is not just it's, it's level up your whole life. Right? Agreed. Like, Agreed. Well, this segment is. I would say our other segments are level up financially. Mm-hmm. I think this segment is more, yeah, level up in multiple areas of your life. Yeah. I'm okay with that. Not that we're self-hope or motivational gurus. We're just trying to be real. Yeah. Well, and and review Grant Cardone for whatever it's worth. Um, so we need to get him on the podcast. That'd be great. Maybe, maybe we pulled the uh the Tim Ferris. Uh, hundred days of no, and call Grant go. Cardone a bunch. Which, of them. We we, need you on which the by the way, I feel bad. We didn't get enough for we us to do it. Enough, yeah. Now, I don't know if you see sweat here, but I'm kind of relieved. And the reason I'm relieved is somebody brought up some good points. Is that if we did that, like in a retail establishment, we could literally get people fired or prosecuted. What? Yes, because when I worked loss prevention or assets protection, depending on you know what story you're talking about. If people gave a discount to somebody, that was theft. And you, I, I process, I did, I didn't prosecute, but I turned over people to be prosecuted that were doing that to their friends. Yeah, I think, I think we wouldn't do it. How terrible sense. would that be? Yeah, that'd be bad. I, I think if we were to do the hundred days of no, which maybe we open it up for one more, uh, if everybody asks for. Well, it well no, 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 uh, we got away with it. What, what are we doing this again? <laughs> but anyways, I think if we were to do it, it would look different in the sense of. We're not doing just the, just to expand our comfort zone of like, hey, let's ask for a discount at Starbucks. But instead, look at it as let's do the really big things. Let's let's try and call and get in contact with a major social media influencer several times a day until we get a no, right? Like go big, like go 10 times. Like why look for a discount at Starbucks when we can try and get Bill Gates to- okay. You know what I mean? Bill Gates is really, you're thinking, you're dreaming 100x. But that was the point of Tim Ferriss, right? Like go okay. big because sometimes the people at the top are so untouchable because people are afraid to even try. Okay. With that, real quick, before we jump to the rest of our discussion here, if you're not following us on Instagram, make sure to follow us. We are Pure Soul Podcast on Instagram. We're always dropping content and information and there's different discussions on there that sometimes we don't get to on the podcast. Also, Facebook, we are Pure Soul Podcast. By the way, do you know there's some kind of glitch and like we disappeared off of Facebook for like three weeks? Like our 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 stories from Instagram showed up, but from eBay open until sometime in August, like I looked and our posts weren't showing up. Huh. So we apologize. We didn't forget about you guys. I don't know what happened, but we're back in full effect. No, somebody said, Hey Orlando, are you okay? Just checking in on you. So we are also on Twitter. We are Pure Cast on Twitter. We're also on TikTok, Pure Podcast on TikTok, which that's a new one. That's an interesting one. And uh, you can always give us a call at 619-738-1170. We have, an interesting, we have an interesting phone call to share on the next update episode. Yeah. So 619-738-1170. You can also email us, Podcast at gmail.com. Make sure to hit that like and subscribe on YouTube. If you're on the podcast, jump on over. Show us some love on, on the YouTube and you get to see when we really get into arguments, what our faces look like yeah. or when we get awkward. Okay. And if you're on the podcast, thanks so much. Thank you so much for the reviews. We keep getting reviews and we really appreciate them. And last of all, there's a link below. If you want to say thank you in a monetary way, which people consistently are saying thank you. And we are very appreciative of that. There's a link below for that also. I think yeah. I've discovered a way for you to do that spiel faster. Which is what? So, um, and we'll just say it on here right now. We're Pure Hustle Podcast on Instagram, YouTube, uh, TikTok, Facebook. True. And Pure Hustle Cast on Twitter. But I like this feel. 
Yeah, it's too much. Okay. Anyways, or we could even make it faster. We could just have little things just show up on our screen and we never even have to say it. Yeah, we could do that. So, all right, let's get back to the book review. Are we talking about quit lying to yourself? Is that where we're at here? Yeah, um, pretty much. I mean, he, he just doubles down on this idea before he gets there. He says, um, people don't approach the creation of success as a must-have obligation, do or die uh, uh, mission, gotta have it, hungry dog on the back of the meat truck mentality. Then they spend the rest of their lives making excuses for why they didn't get it. And that is what happens when you consider success to be an alternative rather than an obligation. That is intense. Like if that isn't that like is super intense. It's basically he's saying like either you want it a hundred percent and you're going, you're like, you're basically willing to die to get it, or you're just not gonna get it and you're gonna make excuses the rest of your life. That's pretty intense. I think it's valid. I think it's valid. I, I've lived enough life and know enough people that I really believe there's two segments of the population. There's a I'm so broad brushing and and doing everything, saying everything I shouldn't say. But I'm telling you, in my young 40 years of experience, I've experienced there are those that will always blame something else and not recognize. And we, I think all of us recognize someone, whether in our family or our friend group or who we went to school with, that it's always, oh, I didn't get this break because of this or this or this or this. And it's not related to them. And then there are others that are like, I don't care. No matter what happens, this is going to happen. And they make it happen. And they may fail and fail and fail and fail, but they still make it happen. So I think that statement is 100% true. And then there's also people who are 100% do or die. This is it. They won't, they, they eat, eat, breathe, and live this stuff. And they fail. There's that too. Like you have to acknowledge that just because you go 10 times and you dream 10 times big, your chances of success skyrocket compared to everybody else. Yes, but, it's but I, not think, 100%. I think with guidance, that's avoidable. I don't think so. You think people are just going to ultimately just keep failing? Yeah. Well, I, I do think that there, there's a, a way, like if you've got a dream of like, I'm going to be an actor in Hollywood and that's your dream and you go 100% and you pour everything and you live it and you sacrifice your life to get it, it doesn't mean it's going to happen. But I, that's where I mean there's guidance. You have to be self-aware. But and sometimes- you, But that means you're moving to a different dream. So yeah, true. you still have success, but can you reach your dream? Is every dream attainable? No. True, but that's what I mean by guidance. Like you have to be self-aware. But then that goes to the idea of you have to set realistic goals. I don't know if it's about realistic goals. I think it's it's okay, but I think there needs to be people in your life that go, hey, Orlando, like think about it. You went from a point of, you know, that, hey, I can do whatever I want to now you're, you're being delusional. And that's, that's a hard, hard discussion. But that's exactly what Grant Cardone says. Everybody who's not doing the 10 X is going to say you're delusional. You're crazy. He says you're everyone until you make it. And then magically you're a genius. That's what he says. Uh, but I, I've seen that happen too. I it, mean, you think about it there. I know multiple people that I, I think I'm thinking of a student right now that he always said he was going to be this construction guy. He was going to make a ton of money. And I will say at that point in time, when he was younger, I didn't believe it. I thought it was being delusional, but guess what? He's a genius now and he makes far more income than I could ever have imagined making. The only point I'm trying to make is <laughs> 10X. But again, there's one example that breaks it. Right. Well, not just one that breaks it, but like 10X, I think even because he'll, he'll basically say like, there's no goal too unrealistic. Like you need to go craziest. Whereas I think as we're reviewing the book, we would say 
we got to rein that in a little. The real way of, of, of doing it, I think, has to say it has to be a realistic goal that you set further than maybe you think you can achieve. Because me being a professional NBA player is just never going to happen. If that, if I go 10 X on that, I think that's self being self-aware. I think that's, but that's not the argument Grant Cardone makes. No, I don't think he's saying, Hey, if you want to be in the NBA, you can make it. I mean, think about it. We all, I mean, at least I would say for myself, I thought at probably till the age of 12, I thought I could be a quarterback for the 49ers and then reality hit. But that is the pitch. I mean, he makes the comment through here. If, if you want to make it as a, as a musician, as a, this, as a, as a restaurant owner, whatever the thing is, you have to go hundred. I don't know. Those of you that are reading book, let us know below. Do you believe that is what Grant Cardone is selling here? I want to know. I want to know what are, what the listeners think. I think he doesn't explicitly say no and say set realistic expectation. Cause that would go against what he's saying. I think he's vague. I think, I think Grant Cardone is being vague about what is possible. He has to say, set the most crazy unrealistic goals because then if he starts putting limitations on of saying, but you have to be self-aware and you have to recognize that if you fail, you have to switch lanes. And you, if he starts doing that, he's lost his sales pitch because the sales pitch is you do this thing, you're getting success, whatever you want that to but be. I, I, That's I, the sales pitch. Yeah. His sales pitch is you can be successful if you do this thing. And he doesn't say what success is. He says success could be whatever you want it to be. Right now, he's not going to give examples if you want to be an NBA player because he knows that that goes too far. Right. But if he's vague enough, I, that's all I'm saying. I'm saying there's <clears throat> elements we could pull from this, but we have to recognize he's got something he's trying to sell. And I just don't know if the 10x dream is always right without very clear framework around, but it needs to be, in some extent, realistic. And you're saying the same thing. If you think that you have to have, you have to be self aware, right? You, you, I did that. You have to be. I mean, you will end up not playing to your strengths and losing a lot of time if you don't recognize things. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, I, there's so many avenues we can go. Okay. Let's keep moving. Let's go to chapter five. Do we just want to finish up chapter four? Or do you want to move on to chapter let's five? Let's go to five. Let's at least right. end with five. Cause think about it, there's 23 chapters. Yeah. If we're only at chapter five, can we break this down into three episodes? Yeah, I think we can. We just got to speed let, through the next one faster. Let, let, let's go. Let's go. Let's go to six. All right. Let's do six. All right. So, page thirty-seven. Oh no! I want to hear your thoughts. So, so I've been saying for a long time. I started saying it back when we were talking. Maybe even before Richest Man in Babylon. Um, I've made multiple comments about the fact that success is not a zero sum game. And then seeing him say literally the same thing was like very reaffirming to me. Because, oh, I love it. Cause it's true. Like people think of success and, and chapter five is this idea is there's no shortage of success. They think of it as a resource, like like that's scarcity because economics works because there's items with multiple uses that are scarce. Like that's, that's what ec makes economics work. But individuals provide a certain amount of capital to that system and his point is success isn't a zero-sum game in that in order for you to succeed doesn't mean somebody else is losing in fact you can succeed and it could bring other people up and it's not a limited now i do think I, where i would draw the line is there is a limit in the amount of time energy resources so there's a certain point that you can reach but you, most people are have far more success that they can contribute and reach than than they do and, and it's not just like well some people are successful and that means they took all the luck it's so nuanced though it really is. I would say, you know, growing up, 
is always like you had to step on people to move up. Right. And I do appreciate Grant Cardone saying this. I think it applies to the reselling community where, you know, we think that whenever we, and we talked about this in our sharing responsibility episode, if you haven't checked that out, you should check it out. It's our last one where if somebody else finds out about something, then it's a loss. But the reality is that there's plenty of ways to win. Yeah. But information in that sense can be a zero sum game. I would think like if there's, there is no, 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 but remember we were careful that yes, the the retail arbitrage, I think is a zero sum game. Yeah. It's a zero sum game. Well, I know. Okay. I think there's, it's not everyone. I think there's multiple winners, but eventually everybody loses. It's a zero sum game. Yeah. Okay. There's only a certain number of fingerlings out there that you can buy. Fingerlings. Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. But I, I will say I enjoyed this because this is one part that, I think we all need to hear sometimes that, you know, we all the time, oh, reselling's dead. Oh, no one can win. You know, it's over. Da da da. But actually, no. Like there is so much, I believe, so much success that still can be made out there. I really think we're at the tip of the iceberg when it comes to the secondary market. I really, really do. And, you know, depending on how the economy goes, which you know, I, I just I recently, I, it was somebody from, I want to say the Wall Street Journal or New York Times had discussed that if there's a recession, it's very possible that it's because of the media and social media. That consumers will retract their spending because of what they see. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's, I thought that was, but that's unique. That's that the, is a unique time in history. Well, yes and no. Markets have always worked like that. Um, it's not always been media, but but typically what most very successful people on Wall Street, like Warren Buffett or people like that would say, is you don't go, you value a company at what it's worth. It's a real valuing, mm-hmm. actual valuing yeah. of a company as opposed to what people are doing because people get scared. The economy, something happens, people get scared. Everybody pulls their money out of the market. Market dips huge, mm-hmm. right? If you follow the market, you're going to sell off the market. It's going to dip more. And it's like, it, it becomes this mass exit. However, if you recognize now this stock or this company is selling for less than it's worth because looking at all the numbers, what it has on the books, like even if it were to go bankrupt and sell all of its stuff, it's worth more than people are selling it for. Mm-hmm. You buy. So you don't follow them, but people always do that. If, if people if people think, hey, things are going in a good direction, people kind of follow this herd mentality. And so I think media fans that flame, right? And so, but the market typically always reacts, overreacts one direction or the other, whether it's up or down. I just, I just thought it was interesting because, you know, I go, maybe we just need to stop talking about recession <laughs> just for a little bit. Yeah. I think, I, well, I think we should now, not because we're going to add to no, it. No, 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 no. But in the same, no, no, I get it. No, we are. Listen, if there's a recession, the moment we walk out that door, about the it. moment we walk out that door, we are Orlando and Mike to everybody else. And we do not matter to anybody. We don't. Well, okay. Maybe to your wife and your kids and my kids. But outside of that. Pure as a podcast has no influence. But what I'm saying is I don't want to end up off focus by going, oh, and I do think you should, listen, the principles of stacking your cash and building capital, that should happen no matter what recession or no recession. But with a recession, it should, I think you should double your efforts to make that happen. I mean, he talks about that. Like, that was one of the wake up calls. He says he kind of had the two wake up call moments in his life. The one of them was when he was about 25 
and he recognized he had to work 10 times harder than anyone else. And then when he was 50, when he recognized he had to dream 10 times bigger, because even though he was working, what he thought was stable when a recession happened, realized wasn't as stable as he thought. Mm -hmm. And so um, I don't think there's anything wrong with, with thinking of eventually the market's going to retract because markets always retract and saying, what do I need to do to be prepared for that? Now, do we want to over talk about it? No, but I think based off of the length of contraction or uh, expansion that we've had, it's wise to say probably within the next few years, there's going to be some kind of contraction. How do we work in that? I think it's a wise thing. Now, do we talk about it every episode? No, we probably shouldn't. Okay. So hopefully we have no discussion of recession till the recession. Oh, it's too late, man. <laughs> I'm just joking. All right. Okay. Let's keep moving. All right, so we agree. There's no sort of shortage of success. I think I've 100% agreed here. Yeah, the, he makes this claim. He says, the moment you start thinking someone else's gain is your loss, you limit yourself by thinking in terms of competition and shortages. It's so real in the reselling community, though. You got, you know, how many times have I looked at something and go, well, there goes my profits. I can't do anything about it. No, instead, I should focus and focus on something else. And what she talks later on, unfortunately, we're not going to get to it during this level up review, but there's a whole discussion about creating an unfair advantage for yourself, which I thought was great. So, but we have no time for that. All right, let's go. Assuming everything is under control, right? No, Chapter no, no. six, not under control, oh. under your control. Oh, you true. control everything. That is true. That's a difference. You're right. You're right. What do you think about this phrase? People who refuse to take responsibility generally don't do well at taking much action and subsequently don't do well in the game of success. Successful people accept very high levels of accountability for creating and having success for themselves and even for failing to do so. And that reminds me a lot of something Gary Vee had made comments of like, everything is my fault, right? Like that was a pretty powerful video I watched of his. It's like, it doesn't matter. Like something goes wrong, something happens, it's my fault, right? And just taking ownership, even if it's not, it does no good to say, well, like there's, it's not my fault and I can't do it. But just say, this is my fault. I own it. I'm moving on. Right. And, and fixing it. And I, I don't know. There's something, I think there's, there's a lot to that that most people don't do. Uh, Jocko Williams, uh, who's a ex Navy SEAL kind of had something similar to that, which I thought was pretty powerful. He's got a podcast. It's really, really amazing. Um, and he went through a phase where, um, or not a phase, but people recognized in him, people who worked for him recognized no matter how bad things get, if we come to you with bad news, his response was always good. They could say like, hey, we didn't get the budget for whatever. Is that extreme and, ownership? Uh, yeah. Yeah, okay. Jack Williams, extreme ownership. There's a book too. Yeah, he has a book. Okay. And so he would make comments like that, like good. His response was always good, no matter how bad things got. And someone said like, how can you say good? And he goes, because whatever happens, you can't, you can't stop it now. Good. Now it's an opportunity. We didn't get the funding we needed. Now we get to be creative and figure out how to make it work, right? And, and I think there's something to be said for that kind of mentality. And I just don't think that's natural. And I feel like because it's not natural, we have to consciously say when bad things happen, when things are happening, I'm taking ownership of that. And I'm going to, I'm going to say good and I'm going to move on and fix it. Agree. Maybe we need to read that book in a future level up review. Maybe I've thought about it, but extreme ownership, I think is more of like, it's good for like managers. No, I, you know, I get it. I mean, that's why I know about it, but I think it applies to anything in life in the sense that yeah, I agree. To be successful, you have to be willing, even even when things failed because it was out of your control, you still take ownership because you ultimately made the call to allow things to happen or to play out a certain way. Do you get what I'm saying? It's 
I can't tell you how many times in life things were out of my control and I could not come to peace until I said, you know what? It was out of my control, but I ultimately made that call. And I don't know if this is, you know, deceiving yourself, whatever it is, but you, you're changing that mindset and you're putting yourself back in a place of control and recognizing, you know, I could have continued down that path and allow things to go that way. I could have, but I decided not to. And it was my responsibility ultimately whether things were going to happen or not. And I chose that they weren't, mm. or I was going to do something different or I was going to, you know, I, th I think it's so powerful and I wish I had applied that in my twenties instead of when I was in my late thirties. Yeah. It's, you always could have started earlier, but Hey, starting now is a good place. Um, one thing I like, we talked about this a little bit at the beginning of the episode was the idea of like victim mentality. Um, and it's true. Like, I heard I heard um, a person, a psychologist, explain that really, if you think about it, everybody's a victim. Like like we are in a hostile environment, mm -hmm. and and you can continue to parse the victimhood down further and further, and there are always going to be levels of like oppression and victimhood that's worse, and you can just keep going and and all the way to the level of an individual. But the problem is, what do you do about that? Right? Like you can be in a place where you've had a rough hand dealt to you and things are rough. And he says, um, Grant Cardone makes this comment. He says, there are four. Did you have to look at who the yeah, author I'm was? Like, who are we talking about now? So oh Grant Cardone says, there are four. If you, wait, if you're listening to the podcast, Mike actually had to turn to the front cover and look at the author's name. We've been just saying. About, we've been talking about so many books at this point. Just that, saying. All right, go ahead. So he says, there are four consistent factors in the life of the victim. One, bad things happen to them. Two, bad things happen often. Three, they're always involved. And four, someone or something else is always to blame. And I think that's a pretty powerful statement. And I think, you know, maybe he's wrong and he takes it too far in some ways. However, I think the overall point he's trying to make is if you say, I'm a victim, this bad thing has happened to me, and, and you, you kind of sit in that and you believe that about yourself, then something else is going to happen to you worse and more bad things are going to happen. And kind of almost the idea, the opposite of if you dream big and you aim big, good things are going to happen if you constantly kind of feel like you're being like a victim, if you're being victimized, then it's just going to keep happening. And it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy. But I think solutions. Yeah. Self-fulfilling prophecy is it's very real. <laughs> Even though I thought that was crazy. I really do think, I think it's also people can through intuition, figure things out. I don't know. We're getting kind of weird, but I think, <laughs> I think they see patterns and they see where things are going to lead, right? And so they fall into a self-fulfilling prophecy knowing already what may happen. Yeah, but at the same time, like, if we, if you want to think of the most victimized people, and the sad part is, is, is the, if you look at the extreme of the most victimized and the extreme of the most kind of bullying or oppressive types of people, we know, like, that the worst people, the people who do the cruelest and most awful things, they sniff out the people that they feel are going to be most susceptible to it. Mm -hmm. And so if you put on the air of like, it kind of, instead of like, I've got this. And, and part of it is like, I've, I've, I've heard so many like self-improvement things. It's even just things like posture, like sitting up straight, having your shoulders out and kind of like just the way you position yourself is going to change drastically the chances of being attacked, right? Like somebody, like if, if you're kind of walking slunched over and you're, and you kind of don't seem sure of yourself, there's more likely that, a person will rob you as opposed to if you're walking big, tall, like you're in charge, that you're less of a target. And so there's almost that idea of the more you kind of say like, I can't, 
you you just naturally take on this posture of of the people out there who will hurt. They're they're gonna aim for you. Oh right? no, there's plenty of people there. I think there's more people like <laughs> out there than we know. Now, I do want to share something in the sense that you know he talks about. I mean, we talked about this a little bit, but we had talked about the you talk about the four degrees of action, right? Of inaction or whatever you call it. Oh, we haven't got there. No, you you mentioned four things though about negative people. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Okay, so he talked about he gave some crazy examples about even things that you cannot control, right? You can you should still take responsibility, and I think that does change your life. It changed my life. I'll give you an example. So Mike knows this about me, and I haven't shared this much, but I'm not very good about being on time to things. Like even tonight. Like even tonight. And because I always, if if I need 15 minutes to get somewhere, I won't leave 20 minutes before. I'll leave 15 minutes before. Always, right? Well, what happens? You end up in traffic or something. So earlier on in my, you know, later 20s or 30s, this used to become a prevalent problem, which worked out for me because I eventually, when I was a teacher, I never had the first class. So if I was late, it was okay. And as an administrator, I made my own schedule. So it didn't matter if I was late. Now I wasn't, I mean, I was there on time. Mike can testify to that. But what ended up happening is I changed my mentality from like, if I hit traffic, I wasn't late because of the traffic or I wasn't late because there were bad lights or whatever. I was late because I chose to leave at a certain time. I was late because I didn't get up 10 minutes earlier. I was late because I didn't eat my breakfast or have my lunch prepared the night before. I was late because of those reasons. And the moment I began to change my mindset that that is why I was late, not because of an outside circumstance, total game changer for me. Revolutionized my life. So hopefully that revolutionizes some of your lives. No, that's good. That's all I had to say about that. But Grant Cardone addresses that in here. Yeah, no, that's good. And and I mean, he even talks about that with like things like the stomach flu, right? Like what element of that is your fault? Is it the way you're eating? Is it things you're doing? Is it the way you're washing your hands? Like, sure, you can't you can't always stop everything, but then it, you're better off saying this is my fault than pointing the finger because ultimately you can start to think of what are things I can do to one, get through it and two, try and prevent it. From I mean, I think there's the limits to that. Do you get what I'm saying? Oh yeah, absolutely. But, but it's not going to hurt, right? Like taking so, ownership yeah. or something isn't going to hurt you and it potentially could help you. I agree. I, I just, there, there are limits to that. Yeah. There are things that happen that, that aren't your fault, but this is where this point comes. I may not always have a say in what happens to me. I always have a choice about how I respond to it. Oh, always. So it's, I, I think it's so it's it's one of the most difficult lessons. Uh, Will Smith had a uh, oh man, I, I can't remember. There's this motivational mm-hmm. speech. You know what I'm talking about? Yep. Where refresh my memory here. No, yeah. So so his speech. I don't remember the exact phrase he used, but like it might not be your fault, but it's your responsibility. Correct. That's what it is. Yep. Right. So he was talking about like if a spouse cheats on you, or if somebody swindles you. Like it's not your fault. It's not your fault, but it's your responsibility from that point forward on how you deal with it. I got to tell you, that was huge for me. Yeah. And it's not fair, right? Like that's so huge. I didn't remember at this moment, but it was huge for me. No, I mean, it's good because he makes the claims that it's like, it's not even fair. Like you, you could sit there and say, it's not my fault and it's not fair. And you, you you got the, the, the short end of the stick, but now it's your responsibility. You have to do it. And I think Grant Cardone hundred percent preaches that in here. 
And I think it's, to me, it's, I would say it's one of the top five things you can apply. I don't know what the other four are, but I'm just throwing it out there. One of the top five things, if you can apply that to your life, that things may not be your fault, but it's, you're responsible about your reaction. That will definitely change your outlook on things. And you will feel so much more in control and so much more in power about your life. I agree. And we've become a motivational podcast right now. Hey, no, I mean, think about it, though. One of the reasons we're doing this is, you know, I need these kinds of things to get me motivated to list more. I need these kinds of things to go out and source more, to take more pictures, right? Like occasionally you need the like, I need to go 10 times bigger. I need. And so if, if us reviewing this book, the hour and a half that you've listened to us talk about this, if it gives you that little bit of push to say, you know what, or maybe just that one thing you take and you say like, okay, I'm, I'm going to be responsible for this or it's not because we've got this mastered, but like, Hey, I need to read books like this. Sometimes it gives me that push and encouragement I need. And so hopefully you were able to get something out of it as well. hundred percent. So looking forward to the next two level of reviews. And with that being said, make sure to be real, be relevant and be reselling. Please. Please.